Now, let me just say a word. Guys, that doesn't mean that you can say, well, I can never outgive God. He's already given more than I could ever do, so I'm just not even going to try. Can't use that as an excuse, okay? <laughs> uh, you can't outgive him, but you still might want to give something. All right, hey, let's open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, second book in God's Word, second book of the Bible, Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. So, um, my parents had a trampoline uh, that we had had for a long, long time. And uh, it started getting a little dry rotted and uh, looked pretty dangerous. Uh, it looked like any time somebody jumped on it, that whole thing might just fall apart. And uh, so we said, you know what, we really need to get a new trampoline out there. That thing is not safe. And so uh, it came time getting ready for Thanksgiving, and we were going to, my dad was going to get one, so he got one, and uh, we were going to put that thing together. And we read online and said, it's not that hard to put together, but make sure you follow the instructions. If not, you might end up having to start all over. And we said, well, we don't want to get this thing together and have to start all over. So we worked on that thing. Uh, my wife came out there one night and helped us some, and we were trying to get that thing together before Thanksgiving. We have a bunch of family that comes over for Thanksgiving, probably about 50 people from all a bunch of different states and lots of little kids. So we want that thing ready for Thanksgiving. And so we worked on that thing. We worked on that thing. We were we were so proud of ourselves. We were out there, and and um, and only thing we had to do and is is put the net up. And so we put that safety net up around it. We had the we had all springs on. Had the mat laid out there. It was it was ready to go. Just put put the net up. So we start putting that net up, and we got a I don't remember how how it works. So I clip it around the edges or something. So we're clipping it around. We got it all clipped on. Then it's got those poles, and you stand them up. And it was kind of like kind of like staking the flag, you know, like we reached the summit, you know, so we're putting those poles up and I was excited. We got this thing done and I put that last pole and I put that thing down and I stepped back. I got to look at that thing. I said, something don't look right. And and I was, I said, how come the door to get in this thing, instead of being like that, where it would open up, it looked like that. <laughs> it was, it was going diagonal. I said, that. Ain't no way that's right. I said, but I said, we got it all. Everything matched up. I mean, we got the screws and bolts and everything in there. What could have gone wrong? So, you know what I did? I went and got the instructions out. Now, granted, we did look at the instructions some. And after a couple of minutes of reading the instructions... I read that before you clip that net on and put the poles up, you had to line it up in the right spot. We didn't line it up in the right spot. And so when we got it all stood up, that door looked like that, and there wasn't any way you were getting in and out of that thing. And so then my next question was, all right, well, let's just, let's just fix it. You know what we had to do to fix it? Take the whole thing apart. Now, we didn't, have to take the, we didn't have to take every bolt out. We had to take the whole mat. Every spring had to come off of that thing because we hadn't not only lined the net upright, you had to line the mat upright. And so all those springs was the hardest part of that thing. If you ever put a trampoline together, um, springs will drive you crazy. 
every one, we had to take it all apart. Every spring had to be moved. And I, I, I went to my dad and I said, I said, Dad, I said, look at this door. He said, that ain't right. I said, no, it's not right. And uh, he said, well, what we got to do to fix it? I said, you ain't going to believe it. I said, the one thing we said we were not going to have to do when we started this, we got to take every spring off of this trampoline. And, and, and literally we looked at each other and he said, you think they can still get in it like it is right now? <laughs> and I said, I said, they might could. And we, we, st- we stood there for about a minute and we debated about whether to even fix it or not. And, uh, and then we kind of looked at each other and we said, we got to fix it. <laughs> and so anyways, we took every spring off and we got it in the right spot and we put it back together. Order matters. Order matters. And we kind of got ahead of ourselves, and it resulted in a lot of frustration for us that day. There's an order to the gospel. There's a gospel order, and that order matters. What's really awesome about God's Word is that it is telling one story. This order of the gospel is not something that just starts in what we know as the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. The order of the gospel, when I say gospel, I mean good news. That's the biblical word for good news. That order has always been in existence. God has not changed. And so we find that gospel order, the good news of how God interacts with sinful people, we find that order all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to jump ahead a little bit from the beginning and go to the book of Exodus. And here in Exodus, as God interacts with his people, Israel, we see this gospel order laid out. And it's reflected time and time again in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today as we think about the gospel, how good it is, but making sure we get the right order. Now, when we think about the Bible in our lives, we know that there are things that we should do and there are things that we shouldn't do. That's very clear. There's a certain way that God wants his children to live. There are certain things that we should do and there are certain things that we shouldn't do. There are rules for living that God gives us. But if we get the order wrong, If you're a non-believer and you get the order wrong, that misdirection can lead you to hell. Even as believers, when we get the order right for salvation, we can even find ourselves, even after years and years of being saved, beginning to get the order wrong and trying to follow God for the wrong reasons. And that always leads to frustration. Let me give you this statement, and then we're going to read this passage of Scripture. We are motivated to obey God's rules because of His prior redemption and promised reward. We are motivated to obey God's rules because of His prior redemption and promised reward. And we'll unpack that statement as we walk through this text. Just Just six verses here, verses 1 through 6 of Exodus chapter 19. Now, to give you just a little bit of context, this we're picking up in the book of Exodus after the people of Israel have come out of Egypt and they're in Mount Sinai and God has 
getting ready to give them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. So they're at the mountain. God's getting ready to give them his rules for them, for how they are to live. But before that happens, we have Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is true. It always is true, always has been, always will be. Father, we can base our lives on it. It is a sure foundation in a constantly changing world. Father, open up our hearts and minds to understand this passage of Scripture. Father, give us hearts of flesh. Give us ears to hear. Father, help us to receive this as truth. And then help us to put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're motivated to obey God's rules because of His prior redemption and promised reward. Remember what's happening. God is getting ready to give His people the law. He's fixing to lay down the law, so to speak. He begins with those Ten Commandments, but if you're just to skim through the pages of Exodus, and you could really then go on to the book of Leviticus, and there we have... All the law that God gave to the children of Israel. Things they were to do and things they were not to do. But before he does that, as Moses goes up on the mountain, and Moses is going up on the mountain so that God can give him the law, that's where he gets the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, God speaks these words to him. And he says there in verse 3, I want you to tell the people of Israel this. I want you to make sure you tell Israel this. Before you give them this command, all these commands that I'm going to give you, before you give them the do's and the don'ts of how they're supposed to live, I want you to tell them this. And and the this that he wants wants him to tell the people of Israel is broken up into three parts. There's a past, there's a present and near future, and there is a way out in the future, so to speak. There's a past, something that's already happened. There's something that needs to take place now. And there's something that will happen. That's the three parts that it's broken up into. And so part number one is this. God provides redemption for his people. God provides redemption for his people. That's the first thing that he wants the people of Israel, his people, to be told. I have provided redemption for you. We see that here in verse 4. Verse 3 says, tell Israel this, verse 4, 
you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What's he talking about? Well, he's reminding them of what has just recently happened in their lives. They have been enslaved in Egypt for many years, and they, they, they had a difficult life, and it was getting more and more and more difficult, and they had cried out for help. And God had raised up Moses and sent him in. This is what we have the stories of the ten plagues. He tells Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh says no. He does that multiple times, and God sends all these plagues there. God delivers them out of Egypt. That's what he wants to remind them of. This word redeem means to set free, to purchase out of, to purchase out of slavery. And God's reminding them of this redemption. He reminds them in, in three parts. First, he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. What did he do to them? He decimated them. They were the enemy. And Pharaoh continued to rebel against God. His heart was hardened and hardened and hardened. And God poured out wrath upon the Egyptians in the form of plagues. Those plagues like the water turning, the Nile turning to blood. Plagues like, plagues like gnats and flies and darkness and frogs. All of those things culminating in the death of the firstborn. There at the very first Passover. God had destroyed the enemy. Redemption includes destruction of the enemy. And God reminds them of that. That continued all the way up to where they're at the Red Sea. And remember that story where they've gotten out of Egypt. Pharaoh said, all right, go, go. And they take off and they're, they're leaving Egypt, but they get to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army is coming. The Red Sea is here. And they said, what, what do we do? Now we're just going to die. The Lord brought us out in the wilderness to die. Moses, you brought us out here to die. And God parts the Red Sea. And they go through. The Egyptian army comes in behind them. God allows the water to come back together. And the entire Egyptian army is wiped out just like that. God destroyed their enemies for them. Redemption includes destruction of the enemy. But he also tells them that redemption includes cost to God. Redemption includes cost to God. Notice who did all the work. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings. God's reminding them of who did the redeeming. I'm the one that got you out. He uses this analogy of, of an eagle. And, and, and he is bearing the burden. He is lifting them up. They're, they're not working. They're not walking. They're not doing the flying. They just got on his back and he carried them out. He bore the burden of their rescue. And so redemption includes cost to God. Even after they crossed the Red Sea, God continuing, continued to bear the burden and they did not deserve it. They get out across the Red Sea. If you were to flip back over a chapter or two or three, get the um, chapter 15, and, and you, you realize that right after they celebrate God's delivering them, they start complaining because the water isn't good. And what does God do? He makes the water good for them, even though they're grumbling. Right after they do, that, that happens, they start complaining because they, they don't have any good food to eat. 
Oh, God, you sent us out in the wilderness and you didn't give us any good food to eat. Let's just go back to Egypt where we got something good to eat. Well, you know what God did? He didn't send them back to Egypt. He gave them some good food to eat. Even in the midst of their grumbling. And then you know what happened after that? They started quarreling. They started fighting with one another because they got thirsty again. They moved on from that place and went to another place and now they don't have water. You know what God did? He tells Moses to go strike a rock. He would be there on that rock, and when Moses struck that rock, enough water for the whole nation of Israel flowed out. In the midst of their grumbling, in the midst of their quarreling, God continued to bear the burden of their rescue. They even had come across an army in between Egypt and Mount Sinai. Amalek. And God defeats that army for them. He bears the burden. It's His cost that He takes up for them. But not only is this redemption a destruction of the enemy, and that not only does it include a cost to God, but this redemption also includes ownership by God. Notice what He tells them. He says, I, notice what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings. And then notice how He finishes that sentence. And brought you to Myself. I brought you to Myself. God's saying, I rescued you out of Egypt, not for you just to do whatever you want to do, but I brought you and and now you belong to me. I own you, is what he's saying there. Now, you, you may say, well, that's kind of ironic. They were slaves and God rescued them, but now they're slaves again because now God owns them. The Egyptians owned them. But now God's on them, so they're back in the same predicament. No. Because Egyptian slavery looked a whole lot different than slavery, if you will, to God. Now the one who owns them loves them immensely. They belong to one who is a refuge for them. He is a safe place for them. He is a provider for them. It's good to be owned by God. But at the same time, it's a reminder that he is their master now. And so they answer to him. And so it's right for him to make rules and requirements for them. But realizing that those rules and requirements come from one who loves them and has their best interest at heart. As we consider the redemption of Israel from Egypt, we're reminded of the incredible grace of God. This is the heartbeat of this passage. That God has done all of this for them. And they did nothing to deserve it. Uh, let, me, let me just remind you of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. God says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And just in case they didn't get the point that it wasn't them that deserved it, God just chose to love them because of his grace and mercy. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6, God says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. I love that. The honesty there. Know that God did not redeem you because of your righteousness. Because you're not righteous. You're stubborn. 
You're sinful. But God redeemed you anyway. God's gospel doesn't change. We are redeemed in the same way. By His grace and His mercy. God has sent Jesus Christ and He has destroyed our enemy through His perfect life, death, and resurrection. He's paid the price. He bore our sins. He bore the burden of our redemption upon Himself. And He frees us from our slavery to sin to then belong to Him. And He is a safe refuge for us. And He is a good master over us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by your works, lest any man should boast. We need to be reminded of the redemption that God has blessed us with. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has redeemed you. But it's not because of anything that you have done. Now, what about this whole order thing? Redemption comes first. But notice what he follows that up with. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Let's stop right there. Now, therefore, in light of the fact that I have redeemed you, that I destroyed your enemy, that I bore the burden of rescuing you, and that I brought you to myself in light of that truth. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, therefore, here is what you need to do. Number two in the gospel order, God makes rules for his people. God makes rules for his people. Notice what he's saying. Now he is requiring obedience from them. He is requiring them to keep his covenant. In other words, he is preparing them to receive his law that he's fixing to give them. He's saying, obey my word. Obedience. It is important. The fact that salvation is by grace, that it's a free gift, doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that I can live my life however I want. There are requirements that God has placed on His people. We could flip right over to to chapter 20 and you could see the Ten Commandments, right? We could go through and read those. To have no other gods before God. To not take His name in vain. Not to make false idols, graven images. Not to murder. Not to commit adultery. Not to covet. All those things. There are rules. There are ways that God has called us to live. We could think about things not just that we're not to do, but things that we are to do, even as Christians, as people who have been redeemed. We are to share the gospel with people. That's a command. We are to love one another. That is a command. We are to forgive one another in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. That means without holding on to it, without remaining bitter, but offering free and full and complete forgiveness. We are to do these things. Writers of the New Testament tell us to flee from sexual immorality. They tell us to be careful of our mouths because our mouths will get us into trouble. That's my paraphrase. Our mouths will get us into trouble. James writes extensively about that. Watch our words. 
Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, let the thief no longer steal, but let him get a job and work so that he can give generously to those who are in need. There's these things that we're to do and there's these things that we're to not to do as followers of Christ. But my desire today is not just to tell you everything that you should do and shouldn't do. It's to help you get the order right. First, God redeems. Then, God commands. So why is that order important? Because if we, if we reverse it, what we're left with is a gospel that is not a gospel because gospel means good news. We're left with bad news. That I have to do these things in order for God to rescue me. But do you know the truth of the matter? We're stubborn just like Israel. And we would never be able to do those things well enough for God to rescue us. It has to be by His grace. And so notice that the law comes after the redemption. God has already redeemed the people from Israel. And then He says, live this way. He doesn't say, live this way. Then I will redeem you from Egypt. The redemption is a free gift of grace and the requirements follow that. Our world gets this so wrong. Our culture gets this so wrong when it comes to how to get to heaven. You see it in conversations with people. You see it in songs. You see it on social media. If I give you one example from a song, uh, country singer uh, Alan Jackson had a song a while back, and um, it's talked about sitting on the front porch, and I don't know, it had talked about stuff that I enjoy doing, um, sitting on the front porch. I can't even remember all the words to it. Y'all probably know, somebody, somebody probably knows it. Um, but in that, in that line, uh, he was talking about sitting there, and I think it had something about making biscuits on it. Maybe, maybe I'm just hungry. I don't know. Eating biscuits, I don't know. I don't remember what all the words were. Who knows? But I do remember one line. It's always stuck in my mind. And he's talking about good old boy life. Good old country boy life. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Except that he said, I'm working hard to get to heaven where I come from. That's the wrong gospel. That's a gospel that leads him straight to hell. I don't know if he actually believes that or he just sang that because he thought it would make him some money and people would like it. I don't want you to believe that. That's the opposite of gospel order. We don't work hard to get to heaven. If you're working hard to get to heaven, you are on your way to hell and you will spend eternity there. No one gets to heaven by working their way into it. The Israelites did not work their way out of Egypt. God came in while all they could do was say, we need help. That's all they did. We need help. We need help. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We need help. And God came in and he did all of it. And then he says, this is how you're supposed to live. You see, if we get that wrong, that order wrong, we actually miss out 
on redemption. But if we get that order right, we have great motivation to obey the commands that God has given us. I'm I'm being obedient to a God who has loved me so much that He has rescued me. Why would I not want to obey Him? All of a sudden, His commands are no longer a burden. They no longer are sucking the joy and the life out of, or the fun out of my life. I see that they are meant for my good and my protection, and it is my joy to serve the one who has freely saved me. And so when God says, do this, I say, yes, Lord. And when He says, don't do this, I say, no, I won't do that. Why? Because you've loved me so much, and it is my privilege to serve a God who has so graciously saved me. But do I always act that way? No. I don't. Why not? Because I often forget the great grace of our God. And that's why He wanted them to remember who brought them out of Egypt. So that when they read the law, they wouldn't go, man, God must really hate us. He's making us do all these things and not do all these things. They would go, wow. God not only loves us so much that He would freely rescue us out of Egypt, Now he's giving us these rules and requirements that will help us be set apart as his holy people. That will protect us. And I know that they are for our good because he's already proven how much he loves us. When I open up God's word and I see the things that God calls me to do and the things that he tells me not to do. No matter if everybody else around me is doing these things. I say, oh, but this this God who is saying it, he sent his son To rescue me from my sin. He destroyed my greatest enemy. He bore the burden of my rescue. And I belong to Him. Yes, Lord. Whatever you say. It'd almost be like someone giving you a car. And let's say the person that gave you the car, you had treated them really poorly. You absolutely didn't deserve it. And they said, you know what, I just wanted to buy you a brand new car. Just because I love you. Wow, wasn't expecting that. And they say, here's the keys, it's yours. You got the title, you got the keys, it's yours. Can you pick me up one day a week and take me to the grocery store? And you say, no, I don't think so. I ain't got time for that. That's what we do with God's rules to us when we reject them and God has freely given us so much. Somebody just hand me the keys of the car and say, yeah, sure. I'll, be glad. I'll pick you up every day if you want me to. I'll be glad to do that and more. But what a slap in the face of the one who has given us such a gift when we reject his requirements as burdensome. When he's already paid the price for our sins, an infinite price. But here's where it gets even better. I'm going to say this last point pretty quickly. I want to spend more time on those first two. It's not even that God gives us a gift of redemption and then says, here's how I want you to live. He then follows that up with rewards for being obedient to what he's called us to do. As if the redemption wasn't enough. 
Notice what he says. He first says, remember what I did. Verse five. Now keep my commandments and my covenant. And then the rest of verse five and verse six. Then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So number three, number three. God gives rewards or promises rewards. This is gracious gift. We have redemption. We have rules. And then we have this promised reward. So it would be like the person saying, here's a brand new car. Just pick me up one day a week and, and take me to the grocery store. And by the way, while you're there, uh, you buy your gro- you get your groceries and I'll pay for them. You, you following me? I mean, what God gives is just amazing. The sandwich in between his great redemption and great reward are his requirements. Why wouldn't we want to obey him? Yet so often. We want to go our own way. So often, we look at the things God tells us to do, and we say, not today, Lord. I don't have time for that. We look at the things that God tells us not to do, and we say, it's not that bad. Everybody else is doing it. I've been doing it so long. No sense in stopping now. And we're saying that to a God who has sent His Son to die for us and is promising us reward. The reward, part of the reward includes being owned by God. You'll be my treasured possession. I will own you. We've already said that's a good thing for God to own us. Belonging to God is the greatest need of every person because to not belong to God is to be rejected by God and to be rejected by God is to be punished by God forever and ever. So it's good for God to own us. And we get to be His possession, but not just any possession, a treasured possession. Do you know what you do with something you treasure? You take care of it. You take care of it. You protect it. And that's the way that God treats His children. Right now, if you belong to Him, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, He is treasuring you. The God of all creation is treasuring you and me. He's watching over you. He's continuing to protect you from the enemy. He's providing for your needs. We are a treasured possession. The reward also includes being a kingdom of priests to God. A priest was someone who was able to enter into the presence of God. And we get to enter into the presence of God because of what God has done for us. As we continue to obey Him, we enjoyed unhindered access to God. To God Himself. The reward includes being a holy nation to God. All believers united together are God's people. And we get the privilege of reflecting His holiness, serving His holy purposes and making known His holy name to the nations. What a grand privilege we get. What a reward. A reward of belonging to Him for all of eternity. See, here's what happens if we get this order wrong. It leads to a wrong view of some things. If we put the works, the requirements, the rules first, then we have a wrong view of God. 
We'll think that God is this evil, mean dictator rather than a loving father. All God does is just give me a bunch of do's and don'ts and hits me over the head when I don't do what I'm supposed to do and do what I'm not supposed to do. No. He's already provided rescue before He ever requires you to follow Him. He's not an evil dictator. If we put the rules before the redemption and reward, if we put the rules first, then we have a wrong view not only of God, but of salvation. We strip Jesus' death of any and all significance. He's talking with a man one time, and he wanted to say that, or he was saying, and he didn't just want to say it, he said it, that the way that we are accepted by God, the way that we get to heaven, the way that we are saved, is by believing in Jesus and by doing good works. And I said, hold up. Hold up. You're telling me that you have to believe in Jesus and you have to do good works. Yeah. So if you don't do the good works, like God doesn't, he doesn't save you until you start doing these things and you clean your life up. Yeah. Yeah. I said, listen to me. I said, you are belittling the cross of Jesus Christ. I told him, I said, you are stripping the cross of its glory. You are stripping the king of his glory because you are saying that when he bled and died on the cross, that it wasn't enough. And you're saying that you have to add something to what he's doing. Don't talk about Jesus that way. Don't say that you love him and believe in him. And at the same time, say that he failed in what he came to do to save his people from their sins. God has done it all. And so when we add works in prior to redemption, before salvation, we strip the cross of all that it means. We strip strip the glory from Jesus. He paid everything. It's all by his grace. Not only do we have a wrong view of God and a wrong view of salvation when we get the order wrong, but we also get a wrong view of works. Even as believers. As an unbeliever, you may think that it's your works that will get you into heaven, and that's wrong. But even after we trusted in Christ and we believed upon Jesus alone for salvation, as we live out the Christian life, there's a danger that we'll begin to be motivated to obey God, either out of fear of Him, a scared kind of fear. Oh, if I don't do this, God's not going to love me. No, God's already loved you. Look at the cross. Or... We're motivated to obey him as Christians. This sense of self-glory. Oh, I'm I'm obey I'm obey God. I'm I'm so good at it. God's gonna be so pleased with me. Oh man, I'm gonna be his favorite child. He's gonna look down and say, Man, I I knew I saved him for a good reason. No, you know what God looks down and says? You're stubborn, just like the people of Israel. And I saved you even while you were stubborn. Yes, I'm pleased with what you're doing, but that does not add anything to my love for you. That doesn't add anything to your salvation. So when we have the wrong view of the order, it gives us a wrong, a wrong understanding of the order. We have a wrong view of works. And even the good things that we do as Christians, we'll do them from the wrong motivation. Instead, our motivation should be simply gratitude and joy to God. And finally, it gives us a wrong view of ourselves. When we get the order wrong, we become inward focused. We become to think more of ourselves 
and our abilities and our goodness than God and His grace and mercy and love in our lives. If we really understand the grace we've been shown by God through Christ, we will gladly obey God in every area of our lives. So if you find yourself, think for a moment with me. Just a moment of reflection. Think about your life. You know if there's areas in your heart where you're not following the Lord. You know if there's areas in your life where you're not honoring God, where you're not putting Him first, where you're not being obedient to the things He's called us to. If you find yourself not being obedient, not submitting to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you through His Word, or perhaps obeying, but you're, you're doing so, you're, you're trying to live for God, but you're doing it begrudgingly with like a scowl on your face. Like, oh, I wish I had to do all this stuff for God. Well, I'm going to do it because he said, he said I should do it. And the problem is not that you're not trying hard enough or that you just need to be more positive and have a better attitude. The problem is that you've lost sight of the grace, the redemption, the rescue, the salvation that you have been freely given. Place the rules before the redemption. There was some frustration that day when I looked at that trampoline and said, man, I've got to start all over. I was, I was not happy. I'll just be honest with you. But it was just, just one day. Just a moment. But I want this passage to protect us from Can I speak for a moment to Christians in here? From from instead of experiencing a life of joy that God intends for us to have as we gladly obey His commandments, what I want this passage to do for us today is to protect us from living for God and hating doing it. Because we're feeling the weight of the law instead of the redemption and freedom of salvation as we obey. Order matters. Gospel order matters. But I have to say this as we close. Perhaps you've always been putting the rules first. And you've thought that in order for God to love you, and for Him to let you into His kingdom, that you had to be good enough. That you had to obey first, and then He would rescue you. Then He would save you. That's not the truth of the Gospel. You have the order wrong. And so today, put the redemption before the requirements. He takes you just as you are. He doesn't leave you that way. But He does take you initially just as you are. In all your sin, in all your filth, in all your grumbling and complaining, just like the Israelites. And He gives you a free and complete salvation. Trust in Him. And then what you'll find as He rescues you is that His commandments are not a burden. They're a joy. Let's pray. Father, help us to get the order right when it comes to the Gospel. 
Help us, Father. We are prone to get it wrong. And Lord, if we were to look at the rest of the pages of the Old Testament, we would see that Israel gets it wrong over and over and over. They forget about the redemption. And then the rules become burdensome. And they just end up rejecting you. Father, help us to get the order right. Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to trust in Jesus, just like the Israelites just cried out, said, God, I can't do anything. I'm a wretched sinner. I can't do anything. I have nothing to offer you but sin. But please, because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sin, please rescue me. Father, I pray today that they would cry out for salvation. Father, for the believer in here who's finding it difficult to obey what you have called us to obey, the life you've called us to live, for the believer who's finding it hard to put away some sin and to put on holiness, who's maybe becoming tired And worn out in trying to live for you. Father, remind that person. Remind me. Of the great redemption. That you have already provided. So that we'll serve. We'll obey. Out of joy and gratitude. For our great God and Savior. And then Lord. Like icing on the cake. You promise us great reward. Father, if you're calling someone to salvation, Father, I pray that they would trust in Jesus and be saved. If you're calling someone to repent, having a wrong view of of the Gospel, I pray that they would repent. Father, if you're calling someone to remember Your grace so that they'll serve You out of joy, Father, I pray that right now they would remember Your grace on Calvary's cross and that they would be led to serve You all the days of their life with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.